This podcast has been made possible by Planful and U.S. Bank. Hello, this is Paul Oldham, CFO of Advanced Energy, and you are listening to the CFO Thought Leader Podcast. This is episode 531. Hi, it's Jack Sweeney. On today's show, we speak to Jamie Cohn, CFO of Angie Home Services. After joining the corporate strategy group of Home Advisor back in 2011, doors of opportunity began swinging open for Jamie, allowing her to garner invaluable experiences in FP&A and M&A, including a historic merger that would ultimately place her on the path to the CFO office. Our interview begins after these words from our sponsor. In an ever-changing world, it can be tough to keep up with the latest FP&A trends and innovations that keep you ahead of the game. Luckily, there's a podcast for that. Tune in to Being Planful, the podcast for finance leaders and planning experts, and stay in the know about what's happening in planning and forecasting. Guests like influencer Chris Ortega, Boston Red Sox CFO Tim Zhu, and Brian Lapidus of AFP will keep you up to speed on how you can put finance in the driver's seat this year. Find the full episodes at beingplanful.com or wherever you get your podcasts. P.S. Think you might make a great guest on the show? Shoot host Rowan Tonkin an email at beingplanful at planful.com. Absolutely. So, you know, math always came pretty naturally and easy to 
Um, so, you know, like, <laughs> like any uh, good parent told you, nothing in, uh, good in life ever comes easy. So I went into college uh, prepared to go into pre-med. Um, that didn't, you know, didn't love that, didn't work out so well. So also, you know, recalled the advice to lean into my strengths. So quickly pivoted uh, into a math and business um, study, and that was in uh, North Carolina at Wake Forest University. So from there, you know, that kind of set the stage for um, a career in analytics and, and finance, um, which ultimately in 2011, um, after living in Denver, Colorado for a few years, took the position at, um, at Service Magic, which um, then rebranded to become Home Advisor in our corporate strategy department. Um, so got the chance to work on a bunch of different projects across the organization and really see, you know, the breadth of the organization and how everything came together. In a, what, a pivotal moment in 2012, I decided to do a 200-hour yoga teacher training. Um, and that was, you know, a mindful commitment to a pretty long program um, where I had to balance my time and, you know, full-time job as well as this yoga program. But also it was the first time that, you know, I stood up and leaded and guided a room full of people. And, um, and then in 2013, that led into me being offered the opportunity to move from corporate strategy into FP&A. And so I, you know, sat back and asked myself, should I keep doing the same thing I've done for two years and I'm really good at, or should I jump into something that's brand new and um, that, you know, I really have no idea and have to learn and, and build from scratch it? team and processes. So, you know, jumped into FP&A, and that also was another area where I, um, you know, put those leadership skills into place, you know, in, uh, in the workplace, and um, from there, continued to stay the course. Um, in, in 2017, um, after, you know, a number of promotions and growth with the company, I was um, asked if I would take over all operational finance oversight, including accounting, with a promotion to executive vice president. And once again, I you know chose to commit and kind of leap into that area of unknown um, and, and take over you know new responsibility and ownership. At the same time, uh, we were going through the Angie Wood merger and acquisition, so a lot of work going into um, preparing for ultimately what became um, the IPO. And that also offered me, you know, a line of sight to being a public company CFO for the first time. So this was kind of a key milestone. This is one of those paths where you were able to grow with the company. But the company introduced new uh, lines of business or was able to fortify uh, its business model. You were these transactions really opened the door for you to uh, have some wonderful experiences to learn from. Do I, do I have that right? Or? Exactly, yeah. And we know there were some other uh, transactions as well. Can you shed uh, some light on that activity uh, for us? Yeah, we, so after, you know, the Andrews List um, reverse merger acquisition, we took a year to get through the integration. We built a lot of work going into combining two very large companies and, and going public, but then most recently, we completed two acquisitions, um, Handy in um, late 2018, um, and Fix Pair in um, early February of this year. Now, would this be characterized as a roll-up of what, what uh, AD Home Services has put together here? Because I know there's quite a few businesses that have come under the umbrella. So I, I guess I would I would position it a little bit differently, which is that you know we have multiple brands that um, not a 
can be, um, it's, it's a smaller on-demand platform that, um, that mostly services cleaning and cleaning and but provides the instant matching and can track your pro all the way uh, to the job site and you pay through the platform. Do you ever think back how life might have been different had you joined another company? Was there something about this company and how it grew that allowed you to realize uh, some of your, your career milestones? Perhaps sooner than other opportunities would have permitted. I have had that thought a few times, you know, how would life have done different if I had um, made a different choice? Because I did have a few different job opportunities on the table at that point. I think um, one of the main reasons I spent some time in a, a Fortune 100 company, and um, it was very large, and um, I think that I wanted to go to a smaller company that um, had a lot of potential within the tech space, and um, it just felt culturally like the right fit for me. Um, and then, you know, Fortunately, they had, you know, we had just brought on a new CEO who was focused on um, taking what was a lead generation business and transforming it into a leading consumer brand. And everybody was committed to that vision. So went through a fairly painful time with a rebrand and then ultimately, you know, coming out of that with an explosive growth trajectory that we've been riding since. Let's find out about e-digital uh, services today. How do you position this? And I think you've already touched on it, uh, perhaps. But how, how is this company uh, positioned today with its offerings and uh, its engaging customers? Yeah, so Andy Home Services, we're a dual-sided marketplace. We're connecting homeowners with screened and vetted service professionals. Um, we have a, a network of over 260,000 active service pros, so the, you know, one of the, lar- or the largest uh, service provider networks, um, and different ways for homeowners to connect, but, you know, all, all in all trying to bring um, what has historically been a word-of-mouth industry um, into the digital era and online, making it easier for homeowners to um, take care of their homes. You climb the ranks, this giant merger happens, and yet it offers another opportunity, uh, clearly for you as well. The CFO office um, is there. Tell us about uh, your arrival there. What were the circumstances? Were you surprised? Was it sort of the obvious path for you to take? So I think prior to the Antinsworth merger, it was the next step, you know, it was the path. And... Um, we were a privately held company by IAC at that time. Um, the Andrews List merger kind of changed the game and, you know, increased the table stakes, if you will. So throughout that time, you know, I was in constant conversation with my boss um, at the time, as well as the CFO of IAC, who held the role of Angie Home Services CFO until I stepped into that position in March. So, you know, we had continued dialogue about um, focusing on the operational finance and accounting and getting that in you know, really great working order and then for me to step into the larger role and start to um, take on more of the public company responsibility. So to give our listeners a sense of your uh, your daily day-to-day, those items that are top of mind for you, what are those, let's call them top of mind metrics, what are those numbers that you're looking at uh, before your first cup of coffee each morning? <laughs> Well, whether it's uh, first or, or during, uh, you know, I don't know if I can quite see before my first cup of coffee, but um, uh, we look at, I look at our revenue from the past day, um, the number of service requests that um, came in and how that 
looking at sales um, from our inside sales force. Um, those are kind of the day-to-day, you know, heartbeat monitoring metrics that we look at. And then on a, you know, broader scale, we're looking at um, both on the service provider side and the homeowner side our um, customer acquisition um, and lifetime value. Okay. So when you stepped into the role, was there something that uh, you wanted to do differently? And this might be uh, in terms of, and it's funny, we're speaking to finance leaders increasingly about whether they hold meetings regularly or that some of them don't like meetings. Some of them uh, wanted to change the cadence with which uh, they were holding meetings. Some wanted more meetings. Um, I'm just using that as an example. But was there something that you wanted to change uh, as you looked to lead the finance team? So I, my goal is to position finance as a trusted business partner. So um, collaborating with all of the different business units, and um, I, you know, I really encourage my teams to get out and you know just talk to their customer base, talk to the businesses, um, and form those relationships. And um, I'm a big proponent of leading with yes. So I think you know it's easy to resist change and the status quo is comfortable, and you know it's easy to say no. But my job is to help the business achieve its objectives and figure out, you know, how do we work together and collaborate to make um, make what you're trying to do possible. As you look to make numbers visible across the organization, as you look to uh, sort of empower different parts of the organization, are you making numbers visible? Um, and of course, we've been talking to finance leaders about different dashboards that they put together for different. Uh, perhaps it's for managers, perhaps it's for board members, perhaps it's for other parts of the organization. But um, as you look to um, sort of incent, educate, inform, are you pushing numbers out there differently or in, in new ways? I think, you know, one of the main um, points that I focus on is having one source of the truth. So when you come through an environment where there's a lot of different people pulling data, you can get different answers, you know, to the same question if you don't have the same definition. So we have rolled out um, both business intelligence self-serve um, platforms as well as enterprise reporting, all focused around having one source of the truth and the same number no matter who is, you know, pulling that. Um, but yeah, we're definitely trying to give more tools, you know, to the business. We're a very data-driven business, and people are um, constantly wanting to monitor metrics. And um, so, whether that's in a self-serve platform or building out custom reporting for the different departments, we're always pushing out more information. When you say a uh, self-serve platform, I'm wondering, uh, is this something that you uh, have just uh, begun? Relying on more? Was it already in place? Was it was this a, a large initiative, or was this something that you just had to begin sort of articulating differently and making people understand the role this platform could play? We've been on a journey to build a data warehouse for you know probably since I joined, and finally I think really got traction over the last few years with putting the infrastructure in place and then choosing the right tools to sit on top of that data warehouse. Um, so we have, you know, one that is just, uh, you know, the ability to ad hoc pull data um, and, and slice and dice things. And then we have another platform that has pre-built reporting that you can filter and kind of keep updates on a live basis that we also use. Um, 
so I think that as those platforms have gotten, you know, more more trustworthy and sophisticated over time, the business has definitely relied on them more. Is there something that you've done in relation to those initiatives, those data warehouses? It, it seems to me there are a lot of these projects that are underway. They take years to, to come to maturity. And we're looking for what you might have learned along the way. Would you have done something differently in regards to these initiatives? Because I, I think you're not alone. I think there are lots of finance leaders out there that have been waiting and investing in these data warehouse projects looking to achieve the promise of them, uh, and uh, if they, would they have done things differently <laughs> way back when? Was there a way of, you know, taking a shortcut here, or not really? Whatever, whatever you might want to share in relation to those. Yeah, I think that, you know, you have to take the plunge and choose a software to start with, you know, both the backend database infrastructure as well as the software that sits on top of that. Um, and, if, you know, you can get decision paralysis with all the different choices out there, but just making a choice, committing to that, and then, um, you know, starting to build it out incrementally. I think it, it is a huge project to build out an entire data warehouse, especially on a business like ours where we have so much data. And we're not, you know, we're, we're not there. We haven't built every single metric out, but we start with the most important ones. We start with revenue. We start with service requests. And, um, and then over time, we start to build out more complex data structures. So knowing that you have an analyst team that is your safety net to continue to pull those um, more difficult queries and, um, and things that aren't in existence in the data warehouse, but also, you know, starting to incrementally build out more and more into that um, data warehouse and software platform. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Safety net. Yeah. It comes down to people. All. And no surprise, your, your analyst team has to be up, up to the task. Uh, we're going to jump to our finance strategic moment question, where we ask you to share a moment of strategic insight that you've experienced as a finance executive along the path of your career. What comes to mind when we ask for a finance strategic moment? So we actually built out a real estate function within finance, um, and this was about a year and a half, two years ago. And um, as we have grown our service provider network, the way that we've done that and built that competitive mode is by adding inside sales reps. And naturally, you get to a point where you no longer have enough real estate, you don't have enough seats for, you know, reps. And so we found ourselves, you know, trying to add real estate space, and it was myself and our CRO and our head of legal um, just working together trying to get it done, and we were always behind, um, always behind either timelines on construction or getting leases signed. And um, so ultimately, we decided to bring in somebody who had been in commercial real estate to lead our real estate efforts. And, you know, why did we put it in finance? Well, it's um, obviously a large cost base. We have over a million, or about a million square feet globally of real estate. And it also requires a tremendous amount of coordination across teams, um, not only to get a, you know, a sales center up and running, but also just on an ongoing um, basis. The, the other thing I would mention that we've done in real estate, which I think is pretty innovative, is we've brought our culture of testing, you know, within product development into real estate. And we created a concept of a pop-up sales center so that we could test out new markets in a low-commitment um, low manner. 
for about 20, 20 people. And we think, you know, can we recruit in this market? Can we sell? Can we, you know, build upon this foundation um, before we commit to tens of thousands of square feet uh, in the next 10-year lease? And ultimately, the answer was, uh, yes, we can in this market. So we actually just moved into a permanent home in uh, Chicago where we have capacity for a few hundred sales reps. When we come back, CFO Jamie Jones enters the mentoring The business landscape is changing quickly. As the pressure to manage expenses efficiently and strategically increases, you need solutions that not only help drive down costs and improve efficiencies, but meet the changing needs of your business. At U.S. Bank, we can help. We'll work with you to uncover your specific payment challenges and bring you proactive and innovative solutions and strategies that help you meet the financial goals of your organization. Our commitment to doing the right thing for our customers has earned us the designation of one of the world's most ethical companies from the Ethisphere Institute for six years in a row. To learn more, visit us at usbpayment.com. Jamie, we always uh, kick off the mentoring round with sort of a big question, which is, uh, what is it that's exciting you now about finance and business, not 10 years ago, but today? What is it? So I think that, you know, people are recognizing across the board how powerful data can be. And the more, um, you know, visualization tools that we can put into place to create actionable data that, you know, draws insights and we can, um, you know, put new processes and, and um, products into place, I think that's really exciting. Um, I also think that, you know, within the finance realm specifically, there's a lot more tools around AI and robotics that we can bring to areas like accounting that traditionally haven't had as much, um, you know, innovation and automation behind them. We had discussed uh, earlier your arrival, uh, sort of in the inside the CFO office. Uh, during the mentoring round, we like to ask for that piece of information you wish someone had given you when you stepped into that office for the first time and, and took on sort of the reins of leadership and all of what that means. Um, I wish that somebody had told me what made you successful today and what, what got you here today might not be what makes you successful tomorrow. And that just points to, you know, the need to continue to evolve as we grow through our careers and, you know, what got us to where we are today is not the same skill set that's going to let us thrive in the position that we're in now. What about yourself? Is there a few network professionally? Are there peer groups that you participate with? So there, there's a local group that I've um, started to become a part of, um, the finance professionals. Um, I've also gotten involved in some other you know, organizations that are cross-industry, cross-functional um, cross um, in the city of Denver. But I've also... I'm a big proponent of mentorship and a um, big recipient of um, fantastic mentorship and try to, um, I have mentors, you know, in Midwest, I have mentors here in, um, in Colorado that I can reach out to for advice or insight. Is there a personal habit or routine 
has contributed to your professional success in some way? Uh, so I, I think two things. One is um, reading. I use reading as a bit of an escape. Um, and, and second is running, and that's a, a really big part of my daily routine to stay in balance. Do you, do, you, uh, do you like to run in races, or is this just part of your, your uh, regimen? No, just part of my regimen. I uh, get up pretty early. I, I joke that I'm an um, early East Coaster living in, in Colorado, and I go and just, just run on the treadmill to, to get it done early. So in regards to reading, uh, is there a book you'd recommend? And it doesn't have to be a, a business book or a finance book, but is there a book you'd recommend to your, your uh, finance leader peers out there? You know, I, you know, there are great books out there, and I um, recently mentioned that I, I like The Alchemist a lot as a, as a great book, but generally I'd say reading for me is just an escape um, as opposed to something that I'm using to continuously learn and, and grow. And um, so I would point to anything, whether that's books or, um, you know, leaning on mentorship or um, getting exposure to other parts of the business just to continue to be in that growth mindset and learn. Okay, great. Another uh, first-time selection for us. We'll just get one of those. That's the Alchemist by Paolo Coelho. I'm looking at the uh, the cover on Amazon, and uh, it says uh, the tagline, a fable about following your dreams. Can you tell us something more about it? Yeah, so I think that, you know, at a base level is a story about, you know, finding and pursuing your dreams. And I think that's um, something that can resonate with everybody and is, is inspiring. Um, every time I read it, I take something a little bit different away from it. So most recently when I read it, um, my mindset has been a lot on um, mentorship. And so I, you know, noticed how many different mentors um, the, the main character found along his journey and different people that he consulted, even um, even folks that you wouldn't necessarily think would be a mentor, you know, offering uh, meaningful advice in, in his journey. Um, so, yeah, I think what, what's interesting is every time you read it, something a little bit different might resonate. Here we are. Now up to our final question, where we uh, ask you to look forward and tell us what your priorities are, Danny, for the next I think, you know, generally in finance, we're supporting our organization and making caring for uh, your home effortless. And, you know, within finance, that is supporting all of the innovation around product and, um, and what we're trying to accomplish with making, you know, getting closer to the transaction, making it easier and easier to care for your home. Um, I also mentioned, you know, bringing more automation, you know, to areas like accounting, you know, something I'm, I'm very interested in doing, and how do we free up our people to focus on really value-added um, activities and, and automate some of the more routine and growth things. Excellent. Jamie Cohen, thank you for joining us on CFO Boston. Hello, listeners. Do us a favor. Be certain to subscribe to CFO Thought Leader on Apple Podcasts. Or if you're an Android user, check us out on Spotify or Google Play. 
If you like the show, please recommend it to a friend. Oh, and by the way, the CFO Yearbook 2021 Print Edition debuts on Amazon this quarter, featuring 100 profiles of finance leaders from our 2020 season. Would you like to learn more about our CFO guests? Order the CFO Yearbook 2021. Thank you for supporting our efforts to bring you career journeys of CFOs driving change. We'll be back with another episode very soon. Thank you for listening.